Tell your story, build your brand. ArtMediaNorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Now enjoy this conversation with Tom Moot. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a few clips from Tom's new album, Moot Points. All right. Well, welcome, Tom. Hey. Congratulations on your new album. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so let's just get started. Uh, so the early years, where did you grow up? And can you share one or two stories from your childhood? Yeah, of course. I, I still feel like I'm, I'm growing up a bit. Um, I was born in Vermont uh, when I was about six months old. My family moved to New York. And then when I was about six, we moved to Arizona. And by the time we weren't in Oregon until the time I was about 10. Despite that, I, I still consider myself an Oregonian, even though I am now living in Las Vegas temporarily. As far as a, a story goes, um, I was definitely a troublemaker as a kid. I think one of the more notable stories was um, uh, my best friend and I's family. Uh, his name is Tyler, went out to Slide Rock um, in Arizona. And, you know, we were we spent the whole day swimming and we started finding these snakes and he had always wanted a snake growing up. <laughs> so we started catching them between swimming around. And, you know, as the day wound up wrapping up, we decided to take one home for <laughs> Tyler. And so we're like getting in the car and we stick it in the back center console sort of thing. Uh, my parents had a minivan. So they had sort of like this flip open and the snake was in there and we're kind of watching it, keeping tabs on it on the way home and everything is going totally fine until uh, we stop to eat. And while we are in the restaurant, the snake manages to get out of there and it's somewhere in the car. And Tyler and I know this, but nobody else in the car has any idea about this. So we're kind of like, you know, digging around in the back. And I think we get asked a couple times, uh, what we're looking for and we kind of make stuff up you know we we were still like in middle school i believe when this happened and um yeah so we end up getting home not finding the snake and as our parents are unpacking uh i heard my mom scream and so tyler and i rush over we know it's the snake right so we we like take it and stuff and you know get it in a container and our parents decide that they want to identify and figure out what, like, what's up with it. Yeah. And they found out it was a protected species, and Slide Rock is actually a, a national park. So oh, it was wow. very illegal to have this snake. Yeah. <laughs> and so they called the wildlife rescuers, and the guy was definitely suspicious of us. Yeah. <laughs> because I, apparently the type of snake we grabbed are not super people friendly and they generally avoid people. And so, uh, but we convinced him it just got like, you know, caught up in a towel or something and we no charges were ever pressed. And it actually wound up helping them out because they had uh, been searching for these snakes two weeks prior before they hatched and oh, wow. not really had luck finding them. So they, they were sort of informed by this and went and looked for them again and had better luck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that that ended up being a good thing in the long run, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the snake, the snake was fine. He didn't get stepped on or anything. That's good news, yeah. Uh, so when, that's a great story, by the way. Thanks. Uh, so when did you start learning music, and how soon did you start writing your own music? I first got started with music um, 
the I was 14 and I got an MP3 player for Christmas and immediately I threw on um, the only albums I knew at the time, which were Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour by The Beatles and then Dookie and American Idiot by Green Day. And by the coming summer, six months later, I, I knew I wanted to be a drummer. And so I got started on drums and immediately took to it. I really enjoyed it. Within the next two years, I wanted to start playing guitar, and I I did start playing guitar, and it was soon after I started playing guitar, I think I was around 16, 17, when I started writing music, and actually one of the songs off of this album, All Open, was written back when I was in high school. I think I was about 17, and the title sort of ties in with the lyrics, but it's also a joke about the, um, I guess, tab or chords of the song being all open on the left hand in standard tuning ah. and then just the right hand. <laughs> it's like a play on words. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's nice to have layers. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And how do musicians make a living? Um, a lot of them from their day jobs. Yeah. Um, I think streaming has really changed the music game a lot. A lot of the successful bands I've been seeing are making most of their money off of... Um, both merch and selling selling concert tickets. A lot of the people I see are teaching on the side as well to sort of supplement that. Yeah, that makes sense. How can people better their odds for making a living in music or as an artist? So I think um, making a living in music is pretty achievable. I would just say uh, be good at what you do and be open to all types of work. For example, you know, I've done some roadie stuff Outside of the album, I worked at a, a music retail shop, stuff like that. Making it as an artist is a bit more difficult. At that point, you need to focus on, you know, social media presence, uh, consistent content, and essentially building um, an image and a uh, brand, and it becomes a, a really competitive game. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Good answer. So what are some life skills everyone should learn, but many don't? Cooking and sewing, I think, are two really important ones. Um, for Oregonians, learning to pump gas. Uh, <laughs> I never learned to do that until I, I moved out, and that was kind of hard, and I'm still not uh, the greatest cook or sewstress, seamstress. Seamstress. I'm not yeah. sure. Whatever it's called. I'm not, I'm not great at cooking or sewing, and I'm still a little bumpy pumping gas, but I, I think it's definitely stuff we should know. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I've definitely wound up sitting for a while in other states, kind of like, where are these guys? Before it clicks, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I need to do this. Uh, do you prefer to collaborate or write more on your own as far as writing music? They they both have uh, different merits, I think. Solo work is great because it's absolutely free and you can really have an iron fist over the final sound. But... Um, it can also sometimes feel like you're trying to pull something from nothing and can be a little bit harder to find inspiration. Um, I feel like collaborating, things flow a bit more freely and there's always somebody to lean on. However, you're sort of at, at mercy to the, the group you're with and you really have to trust that the group you're with knows what, what they're doing in the end so that you sound like you know what you're doing as well. Um, in in the end, I think they're both really uh, vital to artistic development for an artist to be able to work in all of these different situations. Oh, that's that's a great answer. Did the place and time that you grew up have an impact on your learning? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we live in a, a time with more access to recorded music than ever, thanks to the internet, but also with more recorded music than ever, thanks to technology. And more music is coming out every day. You know, there's more music in existence than one person could ever listen to in, in their entire lifetime. And artist palettes, as a result, have been widely expanded in the past few decades. Um, I definitely found my sound exploring all sorts of these different things I had access to. And, you know, some, some jazzy stuff, some Manoush music, some world music, just and anything I can get my hands on. And I wouldn't say some of these are necessarily impacting what I'm doing right now, but I would love for them to have an impact on what I'm doing in the future. Okay, yeah, awesome. Uh, what mentors did you have along the way that come to mind? So I did have a lot of great instructors like you. And, you know, at one point I took some drum lessons from Mel Brown. But because it said mentors <laughs> and not instructors, I want to interpret that as a special way. Mel Brown's amazing. Mel Brown is amazing. He's one of the best drummers ever. He, he really, you know, I'd been playing like six years when I took lessons from him. And immediately he stripped me down to rudiments. I was kind of like, what are you doing, man? I know this. But by the end of, of the lessons, I really, you know, it, it came full circle and it clicked. And I, I became a lot better at soloing because I had these rudiments yeah. under my belt. One of my biggest mentors in music was actually someone who I never had a formal lesson with. Um, my friend Michael Huffman through through high school was always introducing me to new music. He introduced me to my some of my favorite bands, Nirvana, Mr. Bungle, um, Consider the Source were all recommendations of his, and those are all in my top 10 artists. Um, Michael actually uh, came in on the album, on the track Autumn, he's, he's uh, playing the outro solo. Oh, cool. Kind of cool to get him involved with it. I would also say um, the, the members of my favorite band, Consider the Source, have had a huge impact on my music. Um, they give some of the absolute best master classes, um, both for rhythm melody how you're interpreting music and they have some really interesting approaches since um you know they're bassist with self-taught their guitarist was um essentially a musicologist and there's just a lot of influence there definitely yeah yeah musicology is a fascinating field because there's so much richness in ethnic music all around the world that you know most of us barely hear little little bits of maybe in pop music or whatever but uh, I took a world music class at PSU that was huge, you know, we learned so much and you'd see somebody with a, you know, one string gourd instrument and shells on both of his ankles and, and, and a couple of drums sitting, you know, cross-legged on the floor and think, okay, what is, this is going to be so boring and it was like endlessly fascinating because he had like four or five different rhythms going on at the same time <laughs> with all of his limbs and he <laughs> Yeah, polyrhythms are, are super cool. I've actually started getting into stuff like that and like compound time signatures recently. I'm not sure if you know the album uh, Passages by Ravi Shankar and Philip Glass. I think I've listened to it, like got it from the library years ago and listened to it. But, oh, yeah. I, I love that album. There's there's like, I, I can't remember, three three plus three. I believe they, they do the phrasing in 16. It, they, they have um, some some things where they'll mess around with four groupings of four and six 
So uh-huh. it'd be like one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Yeah. Or like, so they'll be playing with that, but then they'll swap around to like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And just where, where they're putting the accents completely changes like how, how you're perceiving the time signature. Yeah, it gives it a totally different feel. Yeah, that's awesome. In your opinion, what are some of the best ways someone can learn the skills that you've cultivated? I... I think it's about being open. You want to listen to everything you can get your hands on. You know, there are some idioms that you're not really going to hear in certain kinds of music and you can only get from other certain kinds. Um, You want to make sure to be getting all the information and learning all you can from everybody you can. Um, And remember to take it with a grain of salt so that your end vision can still shine through in the end. Well put. Uh, how should people find their passion or start their creative lives? I would definitely say look places you haven't. I remember taking trumpet in the sixth grade and I was just not interested at all. It wasn't the right medium for me. You know, and maybe drawing isn't your thing, but photography could be. Um, it's really all about finding the proper outlet. And once you have that, you can expand on it. You know, I was a drummer at first and then I was a guitarist. And then I really just kind of fell into songwriting towards the end. And I see myself um, not as like a a singer or a guitarist or any of those, but more so as a composer at the end of the day at this point. That's a that's a hugely important skill because you can you're not limited. You know, if you're a guitarist, that's, that's your thing and that's what you do. But you you can write on the guitar, but then you're limited maybe with your rhythms or with your voice because you don't develop those skills and take in those influences as much. Also just a matter of um, sort of like when it gives you power, when you start playing in groups, like, you know, Paul, Paul McCartney was a drummer. He took the drums on what back in the USSR. It was actually Paul playing drums. You know, I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, it kind of, it kind of gives you this power and you can hear the drums on back in the USR, USSR are different style than a lot of the uh, simple Ringo tracks. And so the same band with different people on different instruments, swapping it up can really give uh, some new viewpoints and new sounds from it. Totally. It's like the difference between Nirvana and Foo Fighters or something. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Dave Grohl totally loved Kurt Cobain singing and I think you can hear how that influenced him and, yeah, but it's still they're both very much their own thing as well. And true, true. It's crazy. Yeah. So how has technology changed music and the creative arts in general? I think technology has changed the game a lot. I feel like at this point, people are able to use technology as an augmentation of their music. For example, I couldn't play all of the instruments I wanted to on the album I released, so some were programmed in MIDI. A good example of that is. Um, all of the string sections you hear are completely digital, um, not even cued in with a keyboard, but programmed note by note. I was singing them out and then, you know, kind of placing them. Some of the solos, for example, Nostalgia and Delirium were created completely digitally by um, glitching out some software with a thunder tube sample and then reorganizing those sounds. And I think it's very similar with other mediums as well. And we have more control than ever, like um, Photoshop and stuff for photographers. Right. 
in the end, all of that power can also make it a lot easier to fall into focusing on technical aspects and lose a lot of the character of something. Yeah, I mean, sometimes things in their raw and organic form are at their most beautiful. Yeah, you really need that that balance of, of using the technology to, you know, push what you're doing further without letting it take over and destroy it potentially as well. Yeah. With your album, how many people did you have involved in the process you said it was it took about three years to record everything yeah there were uh, a lot of people involved so i was doing most of the songwriting i believe we brought in a total of four guest musicians okay mostly for solos but one of the producers also actually two of the producers also went wound up on the tracks nice as well we had an editor for the project. We had, I was doing basic production. We had somebody go in and make sure it really meshed. We had the director who owned the studio and then, you know, cover art had to go to another person. I think in the end, we had about 10 people working on this project That's, together. It's amazing how much it takes to put something together. I mean, yes, people say it's simple now, simpler now. And I guess if it was just a voice and a ukulele, it would be simpler, but there's still... You know, the liner notes and the copyright and the barcode and everything that goes on. <laughs> oh, yeah. We finished recording. We finished recording like a, a year ago, I think. And I was I was ready. I was like, yeah, it's time. And then I was just like slapped in the face with all of this stuff I didn't anticipate. Cover art and, you know, getting copyrights, getting digital distribution down. Um, yeah. We're actually waiting on our physical copies to come in. They should be finishing printing sometime this week. Did you go through CD Baby out of curiosity? I did. Yeah. So I, I was looking through quite a few options, actually. the Another close option was DistroKid. The tiebreaker wound up being that though DistroKid is cheaper, I think CD Baby was $10 more, but you also get a lot of uh, stats on mm -hmm. where your music is being downloaded, who's listening, and stuff like that. And I figured, you know, $10 for a year of, like, information about my audience essentially is a really powerful tool. So I decided to go with that. Yeah, it's a it's a great service. I, you know, the thing is like without promotion and distribution, your album, maybe if you're not gigging and you're not on the road and you're not developing a new audience and connecting with people, it's very hard to kind of get it off the ground. You know, you've already got quite a few followers, it looks like on your Facebook page, which is cool. I did a tour in uh, 2013 in Europe in five countries by myself and uh it was not through like a promotional agency or anything like that so then sort of some of it was just like booking the gigs the day of you know going around and it was hard yeah uh, and it was very humbling you know because it's like nobody cares that you came from America and they've never heard of you that's <laughs> yeah, just like okay yeah but uh it was really cool too I met a lot of great musicians a great experience overall so I definitely encourage you and, and uh, you know, I, I have listened to a little bit of a couple of tracks from your album and really dig some of the stuff that you've put together. It's kind of a cool, magical mixture of like old and new, you know, you've got some really like cool, almost 60s sounding stuff, I want to say. And then it comes into more modern sounding like higher gain stuff and everything it's like wow that's yeah yeah i would i would definitely say you know when i first started doing music my my really big influences were you know nirvana soundgarden stone temple pilots all this 
uh, more 90s stuff. But once I got into college, I started getting really into like psychedelic music. And I think that was sort of what opened the door for progressive music. And then that sort of just opened me up to everything. And now I'm just constantly inundated by whatever new music I can uh, really find or hear about. It shows that it's, you know, there's a lot of diversity there, which is cool. Do you actively produce other types of art, writing, drawing, graphic arts, any of that kind of stuff? I drew a bit when I was younger, but uh, nothing really grabbed me the same way as music did. You know, I liked uh, doing cartoons and stuff, but it was never anything like crazy or special. It was really just... I hadn't found my outlet yet, I guess. <laughs> that makes sense. What is a song, album, or artist you would recommend listening to? So my absolute favorite group right now is Consider the Source. Uh, I generally call them uh, Middle Eastern sci-fi metal jazz funk fusion. It's just, <laughs> it's really, it's essentially really heavy world music. Um, it's one of the most eclectic and idiosyncratic projects I've ever heard Uh they have a new album out that it just came out last month, actually. But there's one of their singles, When You've Loved and Lost Like Frankie Has, it's is amazing. It's like poppy, but there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. It, it definitely gives me some pedal envy. <laughs> but um, their, their last album before that, World War Trios, is one of my all-time favorite albums. Um, I'd probably call it my uh, Desert Island wow. album. The, uh, the first disc is, it starts off like Pink Floyd on steroids, you know, with like the uh, the Animals album, so how the, the bass is kind of doing octaves, but they're tapped out really fast. And then it's just really powerful, the first disc, but it, it breaks off and starts going into Eastern stuff and just takes influence from all of these things from all over the world wow. and goes some really interesting That's places. Cool. It's, it's strange. Yeah but it's strange like nothing else and the guys are in the group are all technical gods you know um the the bassist plays slap and taps and is also playing standard style but he's also sitting down and using like a, a keyboard pedal and then you know the drummer is really into metal drumming but he can also do jazz drumming and he's really into polyrhythms and the guitarist uses the eastern um sliding technique gamacon for his solos and stuff but he's also shredding and tapping and you know it's just everything being smashed together from all over the world wow. that sounds amazing i'll have to check him out all right so is creativity or skill more important as an artist i would i would definitely say as an artist creativity is more important but in in a sense creativity almost is a skill the more you're open to the world I think maybe the more you can reflect back at it. And everything in Western music is essentially always going to be the same 12 notes. You know, we are we are locked into that just inherently by our instruments. And what makes one band sound different from another, in my opinion, is their approach to playing them mostly, you know? No, that's good. That's that's great. What are some difficult times that you faced as an artist? As an artist, forming a backing band for a completed project has been an absolute nightmare. <laughs> you know, money in the music industry is tight, and I don't necessarily have the place to practice, and I can't, you know, guarantee any more pay than tips or what the uh, venue is 
guaranteeing me for payout for musicians. So um, definitely has caused some bumps yeah. in the road. And it's tough. Yeah, it's really hard to uh, to build something without the resources. There's almost a catch-22 yeah. to it. Yeah, like the bigger you are, the more resources you have to invest and the more that turns back around yeah. into you. It's really just getting started, I think. And I I've noticed that too, you know, I... I released my own set of demos, I think it was like seven seven years ago before I was with my studio. And, you know, I released it and I hit a wall and it, it took a lot of work building up, you know, a fan base and stuff. But this time releasing this stuff, it's gone so much more smoothly. You know, I think it's been up about 19 days and I'm at around 900 plays, which is more than my older stuff got its entire first year yeah. you know so it's it's a constant build you always need to be pushing the project yeah further. oh well, that's great and i hope it continues to grow you know sometimes it's exponential too it's there's a you know one person could introduce your music to a thousand people you know it's just the process so i hopefully that is the case the internet and sort of this aspect of going viral you know Somebody may even dig up something that's like five years old and they they decide to blog about it. And maybe they have like 3000 followers who all latch onto it. And you just have these things that have, you know, been sitting around forever. Uh, a good example is Nick Drake. You know, he was a musician back in the late 60s, early 70s, and he um, died before he saw any mainstream success but nowadays he's more popular than ever just because you know he's spread through word of mouth and his work grabs yeah. people sad for him during his lifetime though i'm sure <laughs> oh he was yeah he if you look into his story he was an absolute mess he actually died from o overdosing on his own depression mm. medications which is not uh, not that there is a fun way to go, but that's not a very pleasant no. way, especially. Sorry to make light of it, but I, I saw a sign on online that said, uh, to the person who stole my depression medication, I hope you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how have you learned to overcome adversity? So both in music and in life, I think a lot of adversity generally comes from other people. And I am lucky enough that in life I haven't seen great adversity. But I would say I think it's important to make an effort to try to do what's best for everybody to relieve some of that adversity from others, because then maybe there's less pressure for them to throw it back to you. And, you know, if everybody's working together, it's just going to be an easier time. That makes a lot of sense. Sounds sounds like you're wise beyond your years. <laughs> I, I wish. <laughs> so how important is music to film and video storytelling? I, I think it's one of those things that people may or may not notice when it's there, but people will definitely feel when it's missing. Um, tasteful music can intensify or even completely change the mood of whatever is going on, especially when it comes to more artistic filmmaking. The mood could be almost completely created by the music or you know, the juxtaposition of the music with the imagery. It, it's just, it opens so many doors when you have music going along with the art itself yeah, that's well put who are some artists or influences that have inspired you to make music i mean yeah my 
influences have definitely changed over time. And I would say the, the groups that inspired me to make music at first are not the ones that are inspiring me predominantly to continue making music. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, what really got me inspired at the beginning were Beatles and Green Day, but that's constantly changing. You know, I would say this project was influenced mostly by early Pink Floyd, you know, both Sid Barrett and Roger era more so. I, I never got super into David Gilmore's stuff, but um, Nick Drake was a huge influence on this. Uh, Marcy Playground, even more out there groups like Mr. Bungle were huge influences on this album. Lately, I would say it's even different stuff than that. You know, um, I've been pushed in a lot of different directions. I've been listening to, like, I've been trying to get into Manouche music, sort of like that gypsy jazz stuff. I've been getting into some metal stuff, into some more avant stuff that's a little out there. I don't know. I, I would love to go any of yeah. those directions moving on. in the There's some very cool, like, Egyptian and Greek music as well that, like, you know, a lot. And then, uh, like, the Balkan meters, uh, there's a lot of different time signature stuff that they play with. Yeah. That's really cool. And some of that's even got, gone into classical. There's a guy, uh, Dushan Bogdanovich, that uh, plays a lot of, like, Balkan-influenced music and, and on classical guitar, and it's pretty wild. So cool. Consider the source actually uses a lot of uh, Balkan ornamentations in terms of like the trills and stuff oh, that well. they're doing. Yeah, Bal Balkan stuff is really cool. I know a little bit of Greek stuff. I know a lot of their traditional music kind of speeds yeah. up. And I, I don't know, I have a thing for like tempo, tempo changes and like time signature stuff. I'm I, and maybe it's that I started as yeah. a drummer, but it's tough. You know, rhythm is just so interesting to me well, stairway to heaven speeds up all the way through <laughs> yeah and i i think that's a really good example partially because it's it's so low-key like you almost never you don't really hear it your first time listening to that song that it's speeding up because it's so consistent and so yeah. gradual but once you realize it's happening it just gives the whole track this kick of energy it's true it's true. It's a fun track. <laughs> so how well does the system work for people, for musicians, creative artists, and other lower to middle class workers of all types? Yeah, I don't think the current system is very good for musicians right now. I think we live in a culture where music isn't particularly seen as valuable. There's a lot of people that don't feel they need to support the music they enjoy simply because there's so much of it around and, you know, places like Spotify, it's absolutely free. So there may be not that much motivation to pay for it. This also coupled with, you know, a minimum wage in our country that I believe essentially leaves people in poverty. I think a lot of people are prevented from being the musicians they could be, maybe stifling some of their, their development just from lack of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, if you have to work two jobs, it's awfully hard to have the creative, you know, energy, psychic energy to put into. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, or four jobs. I'm doing four jobs right now, so. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, how well do schools prepare kids for the real world? Not at all, I think. Um, you know, obviously we get some, some good lessons and schools teach valuable knowledge. But I think often um, they're missing out on real life skills. Like my high school, I didn't get a lot of sociology, you know, trying to look from other people's perspectives. I, I remember them giving me a lot of knowledge, but I don't remember them teaching me 
why it's so important to continue this curiosity and um, continue to just get as acquire as much knowledge as you can. And I know most states don't require, I think there's only three states that require comprehensive uh, sex education, which is pretty, pretty dangerous game to be playing. Um, but even just, yeah, but even just little things like um, sewing or first aid that will you know, first aid is really important, and I. It's surprising that we don't could teach save that, people's you know? lives. Yeah, yeah, it it is literally life and death, and we are not teaching it in our our education system, and that's scary. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like a lot of teachers feel like their hands are tied because of the systemization of things. You know, it's like you have to follow these curriculums and and give these tests so that we can standardize everything. And it's like they could teach so much better if their hands weren't tied to that. You know, some of them wouldn't. It definitely reminds me of that uh, Einstein quote, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you, you, the fish is going to live its life thinking it's right. stupid. Like there are definitely some things that should be standard in education that everybody should learn stuff like critical thinking and logic fallacies. A lot of people I know, you know, speech is required, but not everybody gets logic fallacies and stuff like that. But I feel like stuff like that could just vastly improve um, society in general. Can you tell us about your new album and where you'd like to focus your energy over the next few years? Yeah, gladly. So Moot Points is a project I've been working on a few years now. I believe it dates back about three years. The lyrical themes are largely that of existentialism, and the musical side is a fusion of a lot of my earlier influences that I grew up on. In the next few years, I'd really like to start doing some collaborations and I really want to try going going some new directions, potentially new genres or just whatever I can get my hands on, honestly. Okay. That's cool. Well, good luck. I hope that that comes to fruition and you get to work with cool people that help you get the tools that you need to make more awesome music, you know? Yeah, I've been uh, starting with a couple different local groups here in Vegas, actually, but I'll, I'll hold off announcing anything sure. on that until <laughs> it becomes more solid. <laughs> uh, what current or future plans do you have for music, arts, and creative works or business? So... This may or may not include your last answer. Yeah, a, a lot of my plans really are, you know, music related. I think right now there are so many different directions I want to do that I'm I'm never going to accomplish all of them. There's just not time for that. But uh, I guess I guess time will tell. Can you share one or two memorable stories from your music career so far? Yeah, I remember I remember my first paid gig. My friend Trent and I each got paid 50 bucks to to play a Tuesday market on behalf of uh Influence Studios out in Hillsboro. And my guitarist and I were told we were playing an hour set. So we prepped in a solid hour of material and we were ready to go. And we get there and we find out we're playing a three-hour set with an intermission in the middle. And so we, we both had a similar taste in music and it was just him and I. So we had enough in common that we, uh, you know, we, we wound up whipping out songs like Plush by Stone Temple Pilots. I think we did a lot of Led Zeppelin and Stone Temple Pilots once we ran out of our uh, <laughs> set list. But there were there were a hundred plastic seats in front of the uh, 
you know, stage quote unquote. And we filled up all a hundred seats and had a pretty good sized nice. crowd in front of us, which, you know, as a teenager feels pretty great and got legitimate uh, applause and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that is memorable. What other books or artists or musicians, photographers, creative people would you recommend others check out? So I, as I mentioned, Consider the Source is one of my favorite all-time groups, but um, recently I found a couple underground projects that I think deserve uh, some attention. There's a group down here in Las Vegas, Chameleon Queen. They do a kind of Japanese-influenced psych pop. There's a group, Standards. They're a duo from L.A., and they do math rock mostly, but it's, it's really interesting stuff. I found a, a group called Pretty OP, and they do some really strange stuff. Um, they have a couple tracks, Going to Vegas and Doom Jazz, which are indie tracks, but take influence from just everywhere. There's some avant-garde stuff in some of them. There's some jazzy stuff. It, it just goes everywhere, and they're really interesting. In terms of art, there's a Facebook page, No, 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 uh, that does sort of like aesthetic posting and some really glitchy, trippy visuals. There's also a local organization up in Portland. Uh, it's called Different Pigeon, D-F-R-N-T-P-I-G-E-O-N. And uh, you can type that in .com if you want to check out their stuff. But they have a lot of great artists. Um, they have some good values and they sell pieces as prints or stickers or shirts cool. so there's really a lot of different opportunities for the artist to get out through that's awesome them. thanks what would be your advice to 14 year old tom if you could go back so in in two years tom you're gonna break your nose <laughs> and you're last time you didn't go to the hospital or anything to get it fixed get it fixed man <laughs> that sounds like good advice what uh what happened uh it it pops and it, I oh the story behind it so I was skateboarding um and I was never really good so I was kind of the guy who was following people around with the camera and I remember seeing these like sunbeams shining through these clouds over some really pretty trees and I wanted a picture of that but the trees were too high from the ground so I started running up a quarter pipe but I uh I kicked the board up trying to get it to hook up on top of the quarter pipe and then I ran up after it but there was some uh, slight rain and the board didn't hook onto the top of the quarter pipe so I slipped on the rain and started falling uh -huh. down as the board came down and I stomped the board and it just like clapped up into my face oh, as I was falling man. down it just immediately started oh, dripping, yeah. <laughs> dripping blood where and I'm like 90% sure I got a concussion through my face that day because 10 minutes later I was falling. We decided like, okay, I don't feel good. Let's let's go talk to your parents. I'm ready to go home. And uh, I, I almost fell asleep at the basketball game they were at. So Man, well, I'm glad it wasn't worse, but that sounds rough. <laughs> it, was, it was not a fun day. My nose hurt for, for two months. I couldn't even like, you know, itch or scratch my nose because just everything all around it. <laughs> yeah, those those skateboards, when they hit you in the face, that's, that's pretty hefty stuff. <laughs> yeah. How do musicians and creative artists keep from becoming obscure or obsolete? I think in part it really relies on their audience 
but in the end, if you have something that really resonates with your audience, people will come back to it. Being able to stay relevant and change with the times also really helps. It's like some of the most successful bands we've seen found their success in how they have evolved over time. You know, the Beatles and Pink Floyd being two really good examples of just modernizing, you know, late, their late stuff sounds nothing like their early stuff. But it's both good and both really fit the time it was released. Yeah, those are good examples. How important do you feel music and arts are to society? I, I think it's super important. Um, music and the arts are essentially what define our culture. Beyond politicians, celebrities also have a lot of influence over people. Good examples, John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, and Lady Gaga all had these strong causes backing them that they stood for. And people can see their reflection in that art. And I think that's part of what made them so successful. And, you know, even as a local musician, getting up on stage, you have the platform to potentially talk about important issues to you, you know, every, every time you get up there. So artists, I think, have a, have a huge impact on society that sometimes we may not even realize we have. That's true. Should musicians and creative artists just go for it or get a stable job and do their art on the side? I, I definitely feel like it's necessary to start with both. A career in music isn't necessarily something you want to jump into with both feet. Um, you know, at least until one knows they can rely on their art, you just don't want to be quitting your yeah, day job. There's too much gray area for most people. <laughs> yeah, and it can, be, as I mentioned earlier, it can be really hard to actually, you know, monetize in art form. So you may, you know, quit your job. There's, there's a pretty infamous example, actually. Um, he goes by Uncle Adams, Uncle with a K. It's a Canadian rapper who is now over $300,000 in debt. And he, he has like 18,000 monthly Spotify lessons, but he's... He's not doing so hard. Yeah, Spotify doesn't pay well. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a shame. <laughs> what skills are important for everyone to learn? This could be taken as artists, musicians, creatives, or literally everyone. So I think, and this is this is more general, but um, grit and persistence, the ability to stick with what you're doing, even when it may not be the easiest thing. There's a, a quote I've heard, and I can't remember who said it, but um, <laughs> if something's worth doing, it's worth being done poorly until it can be done well. So it's it's really important to just stick with what you're doing if it's something you really I believe in. I think that's in. so true. What are some social issues that people should care more about? So there's there's a lot of these I would like to touch on, but I think the big ones would be climate change, healthcare, income inequality, and protecting marginalized people. And I have that answer because I think all of these things are necessary to have a truly civil society. And if we don't focus on climate change, there's a possibility society may not be too much longer. It's true. The things that we're giving, uh, you know, leaving the younger generations with, it, uh, it's very unfortunate. <laughs> the problems that we're passing on, you know? Yeah. And I mean, what? <sighs> There's there's the doomsday clock. How how far is it away? I know the the point of no return for climate change is 20, 2035, I believe. So about six, we're about sixteen years away from uh, 
Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> big yeah, problem. I've heard also like uh, the Earth will be fine. It's just people that will get <laughs> destroyed, destroy themselves. Oh yeah, no, the Earth is going. The Earth's been around millions of years. It's seen tons of mass extinctions. It it's going to be fine. I'm sure there's a lot of extremophile bacteria and stuff that's going to survive and repopulate Earth and. They're going to be pretty right? happy <laughs> once <laughs> they take over. Uh, what is it like working with artists and musicians? I, I personally love it. Um, most of the musicians I know are night owls, which is great because I'm a night owl. Um, I pretty frequently have problems sleeping, insomnia, stuff like that. Um, I remember some of the sessions on the album actually went past midnight. I think the latest we got out was like 1.30 one morning. And it was after like, you know, eight hours recording and it felt good. And I had way too much energy for the time of day. Yeah, I, I definitely think best at night. So it was great for me to be able to work at my peak time like that. Is there a way that we as artists can work together, help one another and maintain our creativity and our own vision for our journey? Definitely. So one, one thing that's important is having a collective mindset. And I mean, some people have even gone as far to start actual collectives, for example, of Montreal, Neutral, Neutral Milk Hotel, and a couple of other groups are all in a collective together. And they're all popular because they all pushed each other up to there and they were all really good bands. Just having the collective mindset works too, even if you don't form an actual collective, you know, you book a gig and they need an opening act, recommend your, your friend's project, art shouldn't be a cutthroat place and tomorrow you may be jamming with the musician who is today your rival and you're both going to sound better if you know you spent your time teaching each other and helping each other up instead of pushing each nice. other down that was really well put are there any questions i should have asked you that i didn't no honestly i i think we covered a lot of good stuff and can you talk about where people can find you online buy your album, check out your work and what you're going to be up to in the future? Yeah, so the album is available pretty much everywhere online. Um, right now, Bandcamp is the most popular place to get a digital copy. Physical copies will be out soon. For streaming, it seems like Spotify has been a pretty popular place. But Apple Music, YouTube, CD Baby, any of those places will have it awesome. available. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time and uh, telling us about your journey so far. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here and uh, definitely wish you great success with your album and uh, with your uh, live performances and band situation <laughs> or situations and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, I want um, And thank you. Oh, absolutely. Me. It's been, been a joy. It's really cool to see, uh, you know, I, I knew you quite a few years ago as uh, somebody kind of learning music, but which we're all still learning all the time, you know. But uh, I just want to encourage people to check out your album, Moot Points, 2019. Just came out uh, yeah. 18, 18, 19 days ago, right? Yeah, 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 actually. All right. That's fantastic. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Time will come
Find out more at artmedianorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Mm-hmm.